If you've been paying attention in chapel, we've been going through the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. We have looked at the first three articles of that confession or sections, if you want to refer to it that way. We've looked at God's eternal nature. We've looked at uh, Scripture. And we've looked at the fall of man. And so a natural flow from the fall of man is to look at the way of salvation and justification. So we're going to look at those two uh, this morning. There's a lot of things in Scripture that can be very difficult to comprehend. We can accept it by faith and we can believe it because the Bible declares these things to be so. But sometimes there's some things that just baffle the mind, right? We think about God's eternal nature. That God has always existed. That's kind of hard to fathom for people like us who were born and then we die. We know of things from beginning to end. We don't understand this eternal nature of God or comprehend it to the fullest degree. The Bible teaches it. We believe it. But it is hard to comprehend. Maybe hard to comprehend as well the Trinity. The makeup of God as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We've talked about these things. The very last article of the New Hampshire Confession of Faith is about eschatology in the world to come. There's a lot of things about the end times that scholars have debated for years whether it's this way or that way. Who knows? We may all be wrong <laughs> at some level to some degree. But we know Jesus is coming back. We know that truth. And we can rest assured of that fact whether we can figure out all the ins and outs of all those things. But I think there is one thing, at least one thing, that God has made abundantly clear in His Word. And that is the way of salvation. Because this is God's overarching desire for mankind that people be saved. We have Scripture proof of that. John 3.17 states, For God did not send His Son into the world to judge or condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Peter echoes a very similar sentiment in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, that God does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So I think the Scripture is clear that God has this great desire that people be saved. Now, we know not all people will be saved, but God has provided the way of salvation and has made it abundantly clear that it is through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we are saved. After all, He is the one that really the Bible is all about. Going back to the Old Testament, we read many things about this promised seed that is going to come and it's going to save mankind and the whole of the Old Testament is getting us ready for that moment and for that day when Jesus the Messiah would come. So the Bible is all about Him and the way of salvation comes through Him. I love John 14 and verse 6, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And when you look at that construction in the Greek, it is literally I myself and nobody else is the way, the truth, 
and the like. This is emphatically true of Jesus and not true of anyone else. Not true of, of Buddha, not true of Muhammad, not true of any other religious leader that people have followed. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that the way of salvation is provided. And so, section 4 of the New Hampshire Confession of Faith talks about that. So I want us to go line for line, if you will, and look at that section, and then we'll follow that up with justification. Now, the previous speakers each had one section each to cover. I've been given two, so you're going to have to listen really fast as we get through these two sections here. But let's think about the way of salvation. It begins, and you have that sheet before you, we believe that the salvation of sinners is wholly of grace. We just sang a lot about grace. And in the Bible we find a great deal of grace. And I think that becomes a very key word when we think about the way of salvation. That it is based upon the grace of God. It is based upon the work of Christ. Upon the cross and His subsequent resurrection. By the way, never forget the resurrection in the gospel story. It is true Jesus died and there He made atonement for our sins, but He rose victoriously from the grave. I watched a play one time that was about the life of Jesus and they ended at the crucifixion. I was very upset at the end of that play that they did not go one step further to complete the gospel story. But it is of grace. Ephesians 2.5 reminds us of this, that even when we were dead in our transgressions, made, He made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. That's pretty clear in Scripture, is it not? We probably all remember growing up at home and maybe our parents rewarding us when we did good things. Maybe when we accomplished our chores on time or if we did something extra we might receive some type of reward. And so we think in terms of I work hard and I get this. I remember one time I graduated 8th grade. Now I went on past that, but we had a special <laughs> graduation for 8th grade when I was going to school and uh, we went to a separate school for 7th and 8th grade and, and so we graduated. I'd made good grades. But my parents rewarded me. I didn't know they were going to do this, but after the graduation ceremony, they took me out to watch a movie, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I just remember that vaguely, that that was a nice treat that they did for me. I was not expecting that. And we think in terms of that a lot. I do something good and I get something in return. But grace is God's unmerited favor. There's nothing we can do to earn it, to receive it. God gives it freely. So, we believe the salvation of sinners is holy by that grace through the mediatorial offices of the Son of God. What are those mediatorial offices of God's Son? We think of three primary offices, prophet, priest, and king. Moses told us in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, as he spoke to the people of Israel, that God will raise a prophet from among you who will speak to you and you will listen to him. That's a prophecy of Jesus coming one of these days as a prophet who speaks to us truth, who is the Word of God as we find in John 1.1. 1, 1. 
but he's also a priest. He did the priestly work on the cross as a high priest. As a Hebrews 6 and verse 20 reminds us that he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's also a king. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 13. When David wanted to build a, a great temple for God, God told him, No, you will not build me a house. But David, I'll build you a house. And God promised there to David that he would have a forever throne. How is that possible? Kingdoms come and go, right? No kingdom on this earth lasts forever. But the kingdom of our God does through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the great fulfillment of that Davidic covenant that He would come and He would reign on the throne of David as the book of Revelation aptly puts. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I read an article by Tom Nettles. Part of this article talked about the, the mediatorial offices and he says they're all bound up in John chapter 4 verses 34 to 36 or John 3, 34 to 36. He said that the Scripture says, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. There's Jesus, our prophet. For he gives the Spirit without measure. Verse 35, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. There's His great authority as, as the great King. Verse 36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. What the Son has done for us as the great high priest shedding His own blood. But he does not, um, and he who does not obey the Son shall not see life as that verse continues, but the wrath of God abides on him. So through these mediatorial offices of the Son of God, this great grace, this way of salvation has come unto us. Who by appointment, as we read on in our uh, section 4 there on the way of salvation, who by the appointment of the Father took upon Him our nature, yet without sin. I love Philippians 2, 6-7. That reminds us about Christ who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But, what did He do? He emptied Himself literally by taking the form of a bondservant. You see, the self-emptying of Christ is not what He laid aside, but really what He took on. And He took on our humanity and all the limitations of that when He came uh, to this earth. He took our nature, understood our nature, yet uh, He Himself was without sin so that He could be that perfect sacrifice and die for the sins of mankind. He alone being the only perfect human to walk this earth. We find later, it says in this same section, honored the divine law by his personal obedience and by death made a full atonement for sins. We just saw in that previous verse that he himself is without sin. Jesus lived a perfect life upon this earth. Did nothing wrong. And even at the end of his life, in John 17 and verse 4, he's able to say, I glorify, as he's praying to the Father, he says, I glorified thee on the earth and have accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. Jesus did everything his Father asked of him while he walked this earth. How many of us can make such a claim? I don't think any of us can. How many of us have failed God and 
We have left things undone in our lives. We all have. But Jesus, our Savior, did not. He lived a perfect life and died a perfect death, as it says in John 19 and verse 30, where He made full atonement for our sins on the cross. Jesus proclaimed, It is finished. What He came to do, He accomplished. He took our sins with Him to the cross and there He died for our sins. We go on and read the other part of section 4. That having risen from the dead, so there's part of the Gospel story, right? He is now enthroned in heaven. Hebrews 10.12 reminds us, but He, that is Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. When the priests of the Old Testament did their work in the tabernacle in the temple, there was no place to sit down. Their work continued day after day. The high priest, when he went in to make atonement for the sins of the people, did not sit down because in the next year he would have to do it all over again. But our Jesus, our great high priest, the one who shed his blood for us, when he made atonement for sin, he sat down. Why? Because it was finally finished. It was complete. And Jesus accomplished that for us. And then lastly, in this statement, in uniting in His wonderful person the tenderest sympathies with divine perfections, He is every way qualified to be a suitable, a compassionate, and an all-sufficient Savior. I'm reminded of Hebrews 4.15 that reminds us that you and I do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Remember, He took on our nature. He knows about our weaknesses. So he can sympathize with those things, but he is one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. You think about the temptations Jesus endured after the wilderness, the time there where he went and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, came out of that, and there Satan tempted him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You can take any sin and you can put it under one of those categories. Jesus didn't have to be tempted with every specific sin that, that you and I could be tempted with, but He was tempted at all points. Yet, He remained sinless. Therefore, He and He alone can be the way of salvation. And we make that clear to you in our seminary classes here. We teach you the truth of the Gospel in several classes that we have, whether it be Bible classes, theology classes, or any other classes that these things come up. We, we teach you the, the truth of what Scripture says about those things. We teach you how to rightly preach those things in the preaching classes. We teach you how to disciple others who can teach others. We teach you how to evangelize and take the Gospel. The way of salvation is so important that we know it and that we practice it in the way that God intends us to do. Alright. Okay, we did that pretty well. Section 5. <laughs> justification with the minutes I have remaining. So I'm going to accomplish justification in less than 10 minutes. Alright. Well, maybe not possible, but we'll at least <laughs> look at what's here as we think about justification. 
we look at that, it says at the beginning, we believe that the great gospel blessing which Christ secures to such as believe in Him is justification. That is a rich word in Scripture. It means to be declared righteous. We don't become righteous again by our own merit. But at some point, we are declared righteous as we express faith and repentance to God. And justification is the result when we respond to the way of salvation and put our trust solely in Jesus Christ. We are then justified in God's sight. No matter how big of a sinner we were before that moment of conversion, God has declared us justified. He has declared us righteous in His sight. What a gift. I mean, so undeserving, are we? But yet God justifies us through His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to emphasize that that is the basis by which God forgives us. It is through His Son and the shed blood of the cross and His resurrection. And it is by those things that God then pardons us and forgives our sins. Bible clearly says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission, no forgiveness of sins. Romans 5.9, we read this a while ago, but just to reiterate this verse, says much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. What a wonderful thing to know that you stand justified before God. It goes on and says that justification includes the pardon of sin and the promise <coughs> excuse me, of eternal life on principles of righteousness. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he, that is God, will have compassion on him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. God just doesn't forgive you a little bit. But God pardons you completely. Just like we see Jesus in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels as we read about the miracles that He performed, Jesus didn't heal people who couldn't walk and then they still had a little bit of a limp when He was done with them. When Jesus healed somebody, He healed them wholly. If they could not see when He gave them sight, they had 20-20 vision. They could not walk when He healed them, when He touched them, or if He just spoke the Word, they immediately got up and had full strength in their legs. Or a guy like Lazarus, fully dead. Four days. They'd wrapped Him up, put Him in the tomb, dead four days. But when Jesus uttered the words, Lazarus, come forth. Immediately, Lazarus got up and felt probably the best he had ever had in his whole life <laughs> when Jesus brought him back to life. Because when God touches you, when God does something in your life, He does it completely, not just a little bit. So this pardon of sin, this promise of eternal life, John 3.16, anybody know that verse? <laughs> We all know that well, don't we? The end of that verse, we're reminded that those who believe shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Even as we walk on this earth, 
as believers, we possess everlasting life. We've yet to experience the fullness of it. But you got it. You contain it. Because God has saved you. And He has not saved you just for this life. He has saved you for all of eternity. So one of these days we get that new body, right? That will be fit for all of eternity. No aches, no pains, none of that kind of stuff. And uh, we'll be with God for all of eternity. Justified. As we read on in this article, that is bestowed not in consideration of any works of righteousness which we have done, but solely through faith in the Redeemer's blood. I love Titus 3.5 at this point. Such a clear verse related to that. He saved us. God did it, right? God saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. What did Dr. Atterbury say about our righteousness? Well, God said it first. He just repeated what God said. But our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? Before God. So not on the things that we have done, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. It's not what we do. It's what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ and what God will do in bringing us to a point of justification. It's His work and His work alone. By virtue, as we read on, of which faith His perfect righteousness is freely imputed to us of God. Oh, that is such a key word when it comes to justification, the idea of imputation. There's a kind of a dual thread of imputation. Our sins were imputed to Christ. He took those sins with Him on the cross. All of our ugliness, and not just ours, but the sins of the whole world. He took all of that with Him to the cross. It was all laid upon Him, our sins imputed to Him. And when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, God then takes of His own righteousness and imputes that to us. Where there was none, just like with Jesus, where there was no sin, He who knew no sin, took our sin. We who had zero righteousness in our spiritual bank account, if you will. God took of His own righteousness, imputed that to us. To where we can't say, look at my righteousness. No, we say, look at the righteousness God granted me and gave to me, imputed that to us, declared us to be righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Again, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. There's the imputation to Him that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Our imputation, our receiving of that righteousness. Well, this justification then, it goes on and says it brings us into a state of most blessed peace and favor with God. I love the peace that God brings into our hearts. Don't you? Don't you just love that peace? You can go through the worst times in life. You can engage in the worst experiences in life, but yet you can still have the peace of God. It's a peace that the Bible says what passes all understanding. 
how can, you know, the world looks at it and they can't figure it out. How can Christians have such peace when they go through such difficult times? The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is this justification that God gives to us that gives us this peace. Romans 5, 1 and 2, going back to that chapter. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through, here's the means, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. There's that other key word. In which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. What a blessed thought. I stand justified. I am God's child. I have received of His righteousness. He has secured my eternity. Now that doesn't give you confidence in life. Sorry, I can't help you past that. <laughs> That's the best thing we have. That's the thing that Peter did when he began his first epistle writing to Christians who are undergoing persecution and hard times. He began with the glorious thought of salvation. Guys, don't lose sight of this. Yes, we may go through hard times, but look at what you have when it's all over. When the smoke clears, you are justified in God's sight if you are His believer. And then the last part of this, He secures every blessing needful for time and eternity. Talking about 1 Peter 1, He describes an inheritance that we have that is reserved in heaven for us. So what a glorious thought to think of this way of salvation and justification. Let us never lose sight of that because that is not only our hope, but that is the same hope that the world needs to hear. A world in which we hear of wars and rumors of wars. A, a world in which we live that uh, we have a pandemic attacking us. The world needs to know there's hope beyond all those things. And that hope is bound up in one person. And that is Jesus. Let's stand together and thank God for the way of salvation He provided for us and the justified state that He secures in our lives. Let's pray.